Would you take your Bibles and turn to Romans 7? As we go through the book of Romans, I want to remind you uh, that the series builds, but I also want it to be something that if, if you miss a week, you're not you know, lost. And so I think simply this, a, a very short summary of what we've seen. Now, we saw that, that Paul makes a, a statement that, that his letter to the Romans was going to be about a righteousness that comes through faith apart from the law. And, and that's necessary because we are all affected deeply and profoundly by sin. We're all uh, condemned under sin and guilty before God. We're all uh, corrupted. And so the power of sin rules over us until a Savior breaks that. And in uh, Romans 3 and 4 and 5, we see that God deals with the guilt of our sin by taking our sin from us and putting them on Christ and punishing them in Him. And then taking the righteousness of Christ and clothing us with that righteousness so that before God, in His eyes, we are completely righteous. And then we see Him beginning to break the power of sin. It's not just the guilt of sin He deals with, but you are vitally, spiritually, truly connected to Jesus so that the power of His life and death and resurrection is at work in you such that you can say, when Christ died, you also died to sin. And so you count yourself dead to sin. And we say, that sounds great. Here's the problem. That this sin that I'm dead to still feels pretty alive to me. And so how do I make sense of it? Well, Romans 7 helps us explain our experience and lets us know where we stand before God when we're struggling with sin. Before we read the passage we're going to read, uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing on His Word. Our Father in Heaven, we come to Your Word because we need instruction. We need the spiritual food and nourishment Your Word brings. And so we pray, feed and nourish and strengthen Your people. We pray that You would take the words that we read today and, and then the opportunity that I have to explain and apply them and that You would make that ministry fruitful to us all. We pray that for the, what we do in the next 25 minutes or so, that You would cause eternal changes in our hearts, and You would make Your church strong and healthy in the Lord Jesus, that You would rescue us from our sins, and that You would give us faith and repentance. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. Romans 7, verse 14. This is God's Word. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. 
But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is God's Word. It's completely true and it is utterly trustworthy. When I was in my junior year in college, I began to get these really severe headaches. It felt like someone was driving an ice pick to the side of my head. And, and it was so painful. I remember on a number of occasions in the car trying to get back to my apartment praying, God, please let me get this back to my apartment before I wreck. Because I couldn't concentrate even on staying in the lane. Uh, it was it was excruciating, and I would I'd get to my apartment and turn the lights off and turn every sound off and and try to lie there as still as possible, trying to remove any stimuli, any sensation except this sensation of please go away. It happened for a long time. I began to think, what's wrong with me? I happened to mention it to my mom, and she said, go see the orthodontist. Well, I was ready to try anything, so I did. And the orthodontist saw me bite and looked around and said, you chew gum? Well, my only vice at the time, thank you, was uh, I was addicted to Big Red. I would go through uh, several sticks a day. If I told you how many, eight to ten, it would be a lot. And you would be like, okay, I can see your problem now. You need to be an orthodontist. But he looked in and saw my bite, knew how much I was chewing gum, and he said, listen, your chewing gum is causing these headaches. You stop chewing gum, you'll be fine. Now, my headaches didn't go away right away, but I quit chewing gum, and it wasn't long before they were gone. He was right. Even before they were gone, though, there was a huge wave of relief that washed over me. Just knowing why I was going through what I was going through was a huge help. And the idea that now that I know what the cause is, I can begin to deal with it what I want you to see is that Romans 7 is just that prognosis. This is the physician looking at the pain in your life saying, I know why it's there, and you should know too. Here's how this works out. Uh, spiritually, we come to see our need for Christ. We hear the gospel, and the gospel says, there is an answer for your guilt. Jesus died for your sins. Be free. And then, there's not just an answer for your guilt, but there's an answer for the, the power of sin and, and how powerful temptation feels in your life and for your failures. You are connected to Christ and there's a vital spiritual power that flows into your life so that you can say and mean and believe you are dead to sin. And you walk out of here saying, that's great news. And then you get angry with people and then you find yourself still gossiping and still addicted to money and, and all of these sins that you've been struggling with for a long time. And, and, and years go by and you keep hearing this gospel message of freedom from sin and you're still at home going, sin, freedom from sin and sin. And you begin to say, maybe it didn't take with me. Maybe this gospel message that I'm hearing isn't really getting into me. Maybe I don't really belong to it. 
and to begin to doubt or fear. Or maybe you don't say that. Maybe you say, I know I'm in, but I'm just still really, really immature. And I know I probably should have grown more than I have, but I haven't. And you begin to feel a little despair that maybe you don't know how to grow in faith. Or you think there's just something really wrong with me and my growth is stunted and I'm stuck where I am. And all of these lead to doubt and fear and frustration and disappointment. And it makes it impossible to enjoy your salvation. And what happens when you get these positions, if you have any of those three responses, one way to deal with it is you say, well, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work harder at this. I'm going to deal with these sins and you grit your teeth and you put yourself to it and then a really nasty thing happens. You find out you still can't do it. And then you put this burden on yourself to try harder and that's the problem and you've tried harder but it's not enough. So you say, well, then I have to try harder. And you keep sinning and so I have to try harder and you can see how this burden gets heavier and heavier and it begins to crush you. Or, if you don't do the try harder method, you go with more my method, which is I have looked at some of these sins in my life and I've tried to address them and I've failed. And I'm still struggling with the ones I struggled with years ago and they're still hanging with me. Here's what I'm going to do because I can't bear the pain of facing my sins. I'm going to stop noticing them. I'm going to ignore them and suppress them and, and what I end up doing is, is I bring the, the standard of God and the, and the idea of holiness down so that it's something that I can say, okay, I'm doing okay. And, and what I have to do is live this sort of secret life where, where the sins I struggle with, I keep as hidden as I can, not just from you, but from me. And, and, and when they come out and hurt other people, we'll all feel bad for a little while, but then we'll try to ignore them. You know, th- those are your really two strategies. Try harder, try harder and keep failing or ignore your failure and try to pretend like everything's okay. Here's what I want you to see. Paul is giving you this diagnosis of why you feel that pain, of what's wrong that makes you feel this burden of sin and this struggle and why you're not better than you are. Why? You haven't gotten to the place you think you ought to be by now. Paul's going to tell you, really, this idea of struggle and conflict and wrestling is the normal Christian life. It is the normal Christian life. And then he's going to say, here is why. Here is who you are and why you struggle. And then he's going to point you to the place to go with that struggle for real help. Okay? I want you to see those three things. The normal Christian experience is, 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 is war. It is struggle. I want you to note what Paul says. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. The law is God's spiritual commands and the person who is spiritual that is influenced by the Holy Spirit and by God's ways follows them. But I... I am 
of the flesh shall under sin. Did you catch the verb tense there? You know, you're like, I don't do verb tenses anymore. I did that in middle school. Thanks, I'm all done. Verb tenses matter when Paul's talking about them. If you look back further, he says, you know, I heard the command, don't covet, and sin seized an opportunity in me and killed me. All the verbs are past tense, but when we get to this section, beginning in verse 14, from here to the end, the verbs are present tense. Now, that's really significant Paul's writing this ministry more than 20 years after he was converted. He's on his second missionary journey. He's a church planter extraordinaire. He's established churches. And and get this, Paul says to the Corinthians in, in a book he wrote two or three years earlier than this one, he says, I want you to know that follow me as I follow Christ. Paul held himself up as an example to people. He said, this is how you're supposed to follow Jesus. You watch me and do what I do. Now, that's bold. You follow me. And yet he describes his Christian life like this. I'm sold under sin. I want to do right, but I can't. I want to avoid evil, but I keep doing it. This is my life. Church planner, apostle, example. And, and, and he, re, he has this autobiographical section that he's writing to a church in Rome that he's never met because he knows when they read this, they're going to go, that's me. That's me. I do what I don't want to do. And, 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 and the thing that I hate, I keep doing. And, and the good that I want to do, I can't do. They read that and they go, that's me. Isn't it you too? I want to be generous with my things and my stuff, but I'm afraid of giving away my security because I feel secure with my things. I want to trust Jesus with my security. I just can't bring myself to do it. I, I want to love people without concern for how that love's going to be returned, for how people might give back to me. But the problem is, I keep getting angry when somebody doesn't respond to me the way I want. Ever felt that? How about, I really want to stop gossiping. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't be sharing these things that are destructive about other people. But then I get into a conversation with somebody and I realize I just this is what I want to talk about. And so I do. And then I walk away from that conversation feeling guilty and going, I don't want to talk like that, but I can't seem to stop. You felt Some of you have felt that. And, and, and you know, you might put this in all kinds of places. You know, think about your particular struggle. A place where you said, I really want to be different than this, but I'm not. Let me make a a, a sort of pastoral aside. I picked three or four things there because I want you to think that that some people struggle with gossip and can't seem to stop, but other people struggle with with materialism and can't seem to stop, but they don't gossip. I I want you to imagine a person who is a Christian and, and thinks that the sweetest part about Christian living is I get to pray. And they're always praying. 
They're the kind of person that when they hear something about you and they say, well, I will pray for you, and you know they probably will. They might, they'll probably do it more than once. They'll probably pray for you regularly. They went, you went in their notebook. And they just love praying. That person who just loves praying might look at some of the rest of us and go, I don't know why you have such a problem. It's easy for me. I love praying. And they begin to look at you and say, I don't know, maybe there's something wrong with you. And they begin to feel a little superior. Whereas the person who's struggling with prayer and can't figure out how to do it and feels awkward and starts to pray and you know, gets distracted. you know. And that person is humble. Whereas the one who prays is proud. Here's my point. What you feel victory and strength about in your Christian life, what you look at and you go, I just love this part. It's a piece of a place where you've seen God at work in your life and you look at others. What we tend to do is say, I've got this down, why don't you? Whereas they're struggling with that particular thing but not something you are. You see, here's what would happen. If we could come to the idea that while not everybody struggles with my sins, everybody struggles. It would free us from this sense of superiority and this sense of judgment and evaluating each other. We wouldn't feel the need to do that at all. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to deal with sins. I'm not even saying we don't need to deal with it together. I need help with mine. But I am saying this. Think about how you could talk to someone if you knew when they heard you describe your struggle against sin, they would go, I know that feeling. I'm not struggling with that sin, but I know that feeling. Think about how that would free you to say, really? Can you help me? And together, we could begin to deal with some of these things where we struggle and I could find hope. And you could have help. We have to come to the conclusion that we're all in this fight. We're not going to be ignorant or passive with sin, but we're going to be gentle and patient with each other. Uh, I sometimes think it would help if when we're talking about our lives and we're talking about something we struggle with, we just say, I'm really hurting here. I'm really struggling here. Uh, occasionally I hear people uh, will talk to me about something going on in their life and I'll wonder by the way they're describing what they're doing, do they realize they're confessing sin to me? You know. <laughs> but I want you to know I know Romans 7. I live here. This is my experience just like it was Paul's. And so if you come to me and say, I am struggling with sin, you know what I'm going to say? I'm not surprised. Because I'm struggling with sin. You know, if we could take that surprise element out, I can't believe you're struggling with that sin. I just know we struggle. And so I'm never going to be surprised when you come into my office and say, I do what I don't want to do. And I'll say, really? Me too. And Paul. And everybody else. This is the normal Christian life. Why is it this way? Well, look at this. You and I, if you are trusting in Jesus, you are someone who loves God and loves His ways. 
Paul says this um, in verse 16, I agree with the law, it is good. He says later on that I delight in my inner being. Uh, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That delight, that agreement with the law that you have is real, it is right, and it is good. And it is who you are. If you are trusting in Christ, something has happened in you placed there by the Holy Spirit of God that is for God, that is pro-God and pro-God's ways. You want God. And that's a huge thing. It wasn't there naturally. By nature, we're all opposed to God. And so when that sense of being for God and for His ways is there, it's because God put it there and it is real and it is true. There is a fundamental change of who you are. That is going to be with you. For eternity. It is who you are. But I'm also someone, and you and I you are also someone who loves evil and its ways. Twice he says, Sin dwells within me. Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Evil lies close at hand. That evil is real too. This sinful nature that you carry around with you, it's really who you are too. So I have this part of me placed there by God that's going to last forever and it's my inner being and it's who I am at the core of my person and it delights in God and I have this sinful nature in me that hates God and hates His ways that wants to live autonomously and in rebellion and so I have a part that loves God and a part that hates Him I have a part that loves God's ways and a part that loves sin's ways and you know what they do they fight they conflict They war. And if that is true, if you are this person who loves God and this person who hates Him, the Christian life is going to feel like a war all the time. Paul says this, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. It's a constant fight. R.C. Sproul is a teacher and theologian, pastor, lives in Orlando, Florida, has written a ton. He, he describes one experience in his life. When he was early as a Christian, uh, he was uh, addicted to smoking cigarettes. And he came to the conclusion he shouldn't be addicted to cigarettes, so he was going to quit. So he began to try to quit and look for strategies, but he couldn't bring himself to stop. So one person said, what you need to do is put a picture of Jesus in your uh, cigarette packet so you'll see him every time you pull it out. And he said, here's the effect that had. It made me hate that picture. And he kept smoking. He says, well, we'll try this then. Put a nail in your pocket, you know, where you keep your, your cigarettes. And when you reach in, you'll feel that nail and you'll remember your sins nailed Christ there. He said, that lasted for a while, but I kept smoking and I threw the nail away. He says this, it took me 25 years to go one full day without smoking cigarettes. It took me another ten. This is his words. It took me another ten to go a month. And at least ten more before I was done. Forty-five years to break this habit of smoking and this addiction and hell in his life. You see how profound and deep it is. Now, now I want you to hear what he says now. He's free. 
He's, he's gotten victory over this addiction in his life by the help of God. Here's what he says now. Time would not allow me to confess all the transgressions I've been guilty of in the last 24 hours. You see, here's the thing. Even if you beat that one sin you're really struggling and fighting with, there's a hundred more that will rush into the place that's vacated. That's who we are. There's this constant war between that part of us that's for God, that God has put there, and, there, and this part of us that is um, against God and that remains. And, and to beat this part, it's like conquering a persistent pest in your house. When we lived in at Cookville, we began to see some fruit flies flying around in the living room and in the kitchen. And we said, okay, well, we can, we can you know, kill the fruit flies. And it got to be a point where there were so many of them, they were so persistent that we were slapping them all the time. And, and Evelyn, at two years old, would uh, occasionally go, kill the bug, mama. Well, I don't know if she did or not, but she saw us doing it all the time. We were so frustrated. We couldn't find we, we We had that house so clean. I found in our basement a little speck of what I thought might have been a drip of a popsicle from who knows how long ago. And I'm down there with the bleach and scrape it. We had that house spotless. We were pouring bleach in every drain. We wanted to kill anything that could bruise people, but they were still there. We had a pest control guy come in and he, he, he sprayed the whole house and they were gone for about 48 hours. They showed up again. We, we were so convinced we had to get rid of these pests. We, we, we duct taped all our windows shut to make sure there was no way they could be flying in. And that was a bad idea. They were still there. The pest guy came again, and again they were gone for about 48 hours, and they were back. A little bit, a little bit, bigger and bigger, more and more. And... and uh, I feel like this is the closest Karen and I have ever been to going crazy so far. Could not figure it out. We, we, we eventually found a, a bag of potatoes in a hidden spot. And when you saw the bag of potatoes, a million dead fruit flies from the, the spray and maybe thousands more that were swarming around. I'm telling you, I shouldn't tell you this right before lunch, but it was, it was dark. It was, it was awful. <laughs> and, and I was out of town. Uh, so, uh, I just know it was awful. And, but it was like this persistent pest, and that's the way sin is. You, you, you start to dig at one, you spray it, you kill it, you work at it, and just a couple hundred more jump in its place. Because we have this constant war. So where is real help found? Listen to what Paul says. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here's the first thing. You want help? Confess. Admit you need help. Admit that you cannot do this on your own. Stop with the try harder stuff. You see, this actually addresses both people. The try harder people hear this, who will set me free? I'm going to stop trying to set myself free. I'm going to stop with the trying harder. I'm going to stop trying to make up for my sins with doing righteous things and churchy things. I'm going to stop trying to make myself better so that I can say, see, at least I'm dealing with this. I'm going to stop trying to 
do it all on my own. I'm going to trust. But also the other people who say, I'm not going to face it because they say, wretched man that I am. I'm in deep need. I'm miserable. It addresses all of us. We confess our sins and we say, I'm unable to do this. And then you hear Paul say, there is an answer. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus. He's the one who will deliver. And so we, we, we begin to lean ourselves on Him. And so here's the response. Here's the real response. Instead of the despair that we feel because I keep seeing sin in my life and I think I should be better, the right response is to have a persistent faith that says, okay, here's another one. Jesus, will you let, help me deal with it? I'll probably struggle with it again tomorrow. But Jesus, will you help me deal with it again? And every time you encounter that sin or another one, every time you face failure of any sort, whether it's the one you had uh, for the last 20 years, or whether it's a new one you just discovered, you run to Jesus again and say, Jesus, can you help me deal with this? Will you forgive me of this and give me strength to deal with it? Will you deliver me from this sin again? We just keep running back to Him with this persistent, enduring faith. Because that's the normal Christian life. There's a, you know, imagine this scene. We've got this big, huge, massive rock. That's your sin. And it's sitting in the path of a stream. And the water's coming. Now, when a rock and a stream meet, who wins? You know? The stream always wins. Why? Because it just doesn't quit. And over time, it carves out the Grand Canyon. You see, Jesus is filling you with the stream that will never stop. And so it doesn't matter how big that rock of your sin is. The stream will always win. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us enduring faith that we might lean on Jesus and face the most persistent of our sins so that every day when we say, I keep doing what I don't want to do, we'll keep fighting to do what we want, which is to agree with your law and to do that which is good. And when we find ourselves not doing what we want, when we find ourselves not doing the good we'd like to do, we'll keep facing that sin and trusting you to provide all the resources we need to be delivered from it forever. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.